Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Ultimate and Perfect King, and it is part of the King is Coming Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Uh, Let's get in the Word today. We're starting a a new series called The King is Coming. And today, I'm going to, I'm kind of going to get in the middle of the Jesus story instead of starting the beginning. And then next week, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the Jesus story. And so it may seem a little off today because I'm starting in the middle of his life rather than, uh, and even near the end of his earthly life, actually. We're, we're taking our text in Luke chapter 19. But, uh, but it's, it's about this idea of Jesus being king. Uh, I don't know if you know about the, the different creeds. There's several creeds. There's the Augsburg Confession. There's the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. is the one I think most people are most familiar with. We don't say the creed around here um, uh, like never, that we repeat the creed like some churches do. But we believe the creed. It's, it's, it's what we believe. It's what's important to us. And it, it goes like this, just, just a part of it that I want to read to you today. It says, the beautiful and iconic, I mean, I believe in, I was reading some of my comments, which you, don't, you already heard those. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. He was conceived with the power of the Holy Spirit. And born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he arose again and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, that's really beautiful. I agree with every word. I have tremendous honor and respect to the men who centuries ago hammered out those important doctrines of the church. But... I want to offer this to you, that there's a critical gap between born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. We believe very much that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe very much that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. But wait a minute, there's a comma there. That's the most important gap between a comma ever thought of in human history. I believe something important happened between Jesus was born of a virgin and Jesus was suffered under Pontius Pilate. I know he went about being a good guy and he went about teaching and he went about healing the sick and all those good things. But I want to prove to you today from Scripture that it was more than a PR campaign. It wasn't, I'm just going to spend 30 years so everybody will know I'm a good guy. (laughs) No, I want to propose to you today that that gap, that critical gap, something happened, something very important happened, and I'm going to let you in on the secret. I'm not going to hold you in suspense for 30 minutes. What happened? (laughs) I'm going to tell you now what happened. Here's what our text is going to show us in Luke chapter 19. We're going to do an overview of the whole chapter real quick. It showed us that Jesus, knowingly, known to the Father and Him, He became the King of the earth. 
Now, if you look at Luke 19, it gives us four scenes, four scenes emerge in Luke chapter 19. Scene number one, there's a short little guy named Zacchaeus who climbs a tree to see Jesus. And we used to sing when I was in children's church when I was a little boy, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And I don't remember the tune. Uh, uh, he, climbed up to, he, he climbed up a sycamore tree, Jesus for to see. So he wasn't just a wee little man, he was a wicked little man. He was a tax collector, and he wasn't just a, a, a nice tax collector, he was an unscrupulous tax collector who ripped a lot of people off and overcharged people and stuck the money in his, in his bank account. And Jesus looks up and says, I am coming to your house today. Now that was a kingly act. It was kings that went around inviting themselves to your house. And you were delighted and honored. The king wants to come to my house. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And his kingly presence caused Zacchaeus to... They're having dinner together. And Zacchaeus stands up and says, Lord. He doesn't say friend. He doesn't say dude. He says, Lord. That's what you... In a feudal society, that's what you called the king. You called him a lord. He said, Lord, I now give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He had met his critics before, and it didn't change him. But he met his king, and it changed his life. Now, the second scenario is Jesus tells a parable to some people who were apparently hearing the story of Zacchaeus, because it says it right in the text. If you look at it, it actually says, if you're following along there, and you, I would, I'd advise you to open your Bible or your app to, the, to Luke 19, 19, you follow the story, and, and it says, as they were listening. So the people were listening to the story about Zacchaeus, and Jesus says to them, Jesus says to them, let me tell you a parable. This, you know, this didn't really happen, but a story to make a point about a noble who went, a man of noble birth who went to a distant country and appointed himself as king. And he gave 10 of the servants there a sum of money and he said, when I come back, I want you to show that you have done something with my money and you have, you have a, I want you to give me a return on my investment. I believe this. Did they put the scripture? Yeah, I can put the scripture up there. You see it. Okay? So now the next scene, Jesus gets, rides a donkey into Jerusalem, and people start throwing their coats down in front of the donkey, and the people said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and earth and glory in the highest, and some people got upset about this. You should stop these people from saying, and Jesus said, if I stop them from praising me as king... If I stop them from anointing me as king, the rocks will cry out because nature itself knows I'm the king. The final scene, talk about acting like a king and acting like a ruler, is he goes into the temple and he takes his, his whip out and he overturns the money chamber's table. The people who were exploiting, the people who were coming to offer sacrifices, he turns their tables over and he cleanses the temple. Jesus was kind of acting like he owned the place in Luke chapter 19, wouldn't you say? So, 
Why do we need a king or a ruler or a superior? Simple. We are all at our best when we are led. We are at our best when we are well led. You see, why have we dismissed that dimension of who Jesus is? Our king, our ruler, our leader. It's kind of like one time I remember up at the other end, long before we built this, we had a we had a marriage seminar, and, and the, the guy that was running the seminar and wife, they had us all split up into different groups, and we all had a table to work on. We weren't allowed to look at one another, and we all were given Play-Doh. And we're on a, we weren't allowed to talk to the group, and we were, our assignment was to produce a human uh, 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 image. So one group had one leg, another group had another leg, one group had the arm, one group had another arm, one group had the head, one group had the torso. And we weren't allowed to work together. We had to independently produce the part of the anatomy, right? And so then we brought this <laughs> and put this back all together. It was the weirdest looking guy, you know? Great big leg. Tiny little leg on the other side. <laughs> That's what we've done with Jesus. That's what we've done with the Jesus story. We've, the, this church has this great big concept of Jesus being born of a virgin and coming to save us from our sins. And then we got this other big concept, this big old idea, this great big idea of Jesus rising, dying on the cross and rising from the dead and, and taking care of the devil and all of that. We got this little tiny concept of Jesus being the king of our lives. That's just little tiny, little tiny thought that Jesus... But, for 30 years, that's what Jesus established. I am the king who's come. In fact, the Bible says he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Wow. Why have we missed? How do we miss the gospel of the kingdom? I'm excited about it because I like the idea that I get to be a part of a kingdom. I like the idea that I'm a part, that I'm a part of something that is active in the earth, flourishing in the earth, and will someday renew the earth. So let, I want to tell you three things. Three things today. We have the ultimate and perfect king. We have him. He's here. Second thing, you're going to wince when I say this. We hate the ultimate and perfect king. Don't anybody leave. Hang on. Number three, we need the ultimate and perfect king. So, one number one, we have the ultimate and perfect king. We're not waiting for the arrival of, of Jesus. We're not waiting for it. He's already appointed, according to Luke chapter 19, 12, and also according to the messianic prophetic Psalms chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 says, I have installed my king on, on my holy mountain. The Magi said in Matthew, listen to what they said. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We see a star in the east and come to worship him. And if you fell left out because you're not a Jew, take heart because Galatians 2.7 says those who are of faith are the children of Abraham. We, you know, we call for a king. We do. We are wired to exalt, idealize, even serve people. Someone. We're just wired to do it. In history, all through history, we create legends of kings who come. And we talk about, they'll talk about the land was, 
was everything was dark and dreary until the new king came along. We've invented, you know, Robin Hood and King Arthur, and we've invented King Good King Wenceslas. You know, we invent these kings, and the king always makes the difference, right? We, and we've consistently throughout history been at war to remove administrations that were bringing people under bondage and were, were, were ruining the, the, the countryside and, and kings that were wicked and evil and we, we have a history of that. We just can't stop warning a king. In fact, we'll take billionaires, rock stars, movie stars, political leaders, even pastors and make them our kings. We worship them. We adore them. We can't help ourselves because we are wired to serve something. We're wired to look for a king who is also our savior. Jeffrey Smaltz, who died in 1993 of AIDS, was a writer for the New York Times. And uh, he, he met... Uh, he met uh, President-elect Bill Clinton at that time. And he made a very interesting statement. In the last article that he wrote, he, 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 he wrote, uh, uh, the article was called uh, What Really Happened to AIDS or something like that. And he, he, he met, Jeffrey made this statement, I believe thousands of my friends who wouldn't make it, would, or who would die of AIDS, might make it now because Bill Clinton is president. There it is. The man from Arkansas was not to be just president, but savior. And the next sentence, just the next two words just haunt me when I read it. And it has nothing to do with, with Bill Clinton. It wouldn't matter what name you put there. So I'm not being political today. His next sentence was, he's not. Isn't that the story of our lives? Isn't that the story of our lives? Is we decide that God, that person is my, my savior. I'm going to trust him. And then we find out they're not our savior. Israel, in fact, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, there's this place in Israel's history where, see, God set up things. God, you know what? I know to, a few years ago, is, this, is the, is the uh, uh, minim, minimal, what do they call it? Minimal movement, what do they call that? Minimalism. Minimalism movement. Is that still going on? Mm, kind of, sort of. You know, and other books written about it. You want to, uh, Sherry and I have really working in that. We, we filled up a 30-yard dump. We filled up two 30-yard dumpsters in the last two years with stuff that we've collected over our lives. And we would have given it to you if, if we could have found you and connected with you. We were given the stuff to you, but we just couldn't figure out how to let you know that we had it. But, um, and we could probably fill up another one. You know, so, so uh, but, but I think, thought about that as we're throwing all this stuff away that we don't need, you know. Jesus, my Lord and Savior, he wants, God, God wants to give us a simple, a simplified life. A simplified life. And I believe the simplified life has something to do like this. Man shall not live by bread alone, by, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think that's it. I think that's what it's like to have Jesus as my king, is I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so anyway, Israel had this very simple thing. They had this, uh, usually an old guy who was like their judge or their prophet. And um, he, didn't, he lived in a normal house, and he didn't have a palace, and he didn't have an army, and he didn't charge them taxes. 
He was there to settle their disputes and just let them know, thus saith the Lord. And they had a, you know, they had a few problems. One judge had some bad kids, and so that kind of messed things up a little bit. So the people started saying, we want a king like the other nations. And I want you to hear this. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Now you know in life, if you're trying to be like everybody around you, you're, already, you're getting on the wrong path, right? But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, because he was the prophet that was leading them. Listen to... Uh, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, because he was taking it personal. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. When I read that this week, that just, man, I said, oh man. God always had this concept that he wanted to be our king. That he wanted to be the source of our life. He wanted to be the source of our values. He wanted to be the source of our hopes and dreams. He, wanted, he always wanted to be our savior. He always wanted to be the one that we knew. He knew what was best for us, and he had our best interest at heart. And he wasn't trying to build some structure on earth that would crush us, some structure that we had to pay an inordinate amount of taxes to, and we had to send our children to go serve in the army and get killed all over the world. That's what happens when you have a king. He was always the best king, and we rejected him, and also we rejected his son. That's what we do to kings. And that brings me to the next point. Is we hate the ultimate and perfect king. Now, that was a familiar story to the Jews, you know, by the way. I'm talking about, when I say familiar story, I'm talking about when, when Jesus tells a parable about the um, uh, a noble man of noble birth going to a distant country, making himself king. They, they had a story like that all right, uh, already. Hey, uh, uh, Herod's son, Archelaus, was made king by Rome, and, and the Jews sent a delegation to Rome to tell Caesar, we don't want him as our king. And Caesar made him king anyway. So the people, when Jesus told the story, Jesus, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew he was saying, I am the king, and you, because uh, here's what he says next. He tells a story about the, the parable is about he, he gave uh, uh, the sum of money to these ten servants. Remember that? He gave the sum of money to ten servants. And, and he said, I want you to, to uh, take care of my money and, and invest it, and, and uh, I want to return my money. And the Bible says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 14. Luke chapter 19, verse 14. Here's, here's what Jesus, Jesus was telling them, this, he was telling his audience, this is what you're like. But his subjects hated him. Now, he was a nice guy. Why did they hate him? We're going to talk about that in a second. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to be our king. Jesus, see, Jesus was the true, all-powerful king, and they knew it. No one had ever taught like him. 
No one had ever healed like him. No one had ever been as poised as him. No one could offer them the ultimate eternal life. There was one thing they would, there was no one they would rather have be their ruler except for two things. They couldn't rule him. And he claimed the right to rule them. That, think about it. That, that king gives them a sum of money. He was talking about the blessings of life that he gives to all of us. And he says to them, I want you to take your life and invest it for me. Because I'm going to come back someday and I'm going to see how well you invested what I blessed you with for my kingdom. And they go, no, we don't want to serve your kingdom. We want to serve our kingdom. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us want Jesus as an advisor and a motivator. Isn't he a wonderful motivator? Who's more inspiring than Jesus? So we want him as a motivational speaker. We want him as an inspirational figure. But Jesus says, no, I can't. yeah, I'll be that to you, but I also came to be your king. I came, he, three chapters, Sermon on the Mount. He gives the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Everybody who does these sayings of mine will be like a person who builds his house in a rock. Anybody who doesn't do the same, that sounds like a king talking. Everybody who doesn't do the things I tell you to do will be like someone who builds their house on sand. Now, see, I believe now, now, I know you're kind of thinking, you're saying I hate Jesus? I don't want, I didn't come to church today, or I'm not watching on live stream, so you can tell me that I hate Jesus. Because I love Jesus. <laughs> well, I, I believe you do. But it's critical that you understand and admit that you really don't like Jesus running your life. I need to admit that. I don't like it that Jesus can tell me who I can forgive and who I have to forgive. Do you like that? Come on. Come on. Talk to me. Do you like it that Jesus gets to tell you who, you, who, you, who you're going to forgive? Do you like it that Jesus gets to tell you who, you who you have to show affection to and love? Do you like that? Come on, talk to me. Be honest with me today. Do you like it? No. No, thank you. And, and don't answer the next question. Do not answer. Nobody answer. Do you like it that Jesus can tell you who you can sleep with? Don't, don't answer that. I love someone who runs my life. I just love it. No, you don't. We hate it. We hate it. I believe this is a very important admission because I believe this is the admission that opens the kingdom up for me because this is the repentance that I have to constantly, I have to constantly come to Jesus in repentance and say, Jesus, I admit it. I don't like you running my life. But I humble myself because I know you're the only one qualified to run my life. You're the only one who's worthy. 
I love the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, and I know you don't read the book of Revelation. Nobody reads the book of Revelation anymore. We just don't read that. We don't even, <laughs> it's too scary. <laughs> but, but there's these seals, and every seal that gets opened up, a judgment comes on the earth every time a seal. And, and the Bible says they could find no one worthy to open the seal. But then the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of, of the earth, Jesus comes, and he is worthy to open the seal. That's the way I look at Jesus. I'm like you. I chafe under his leadership sometimes, but I need it. You know, someone said if, you know, Romans 8, 7 says, uh, our minds are enmity against God. It says our, our natural minds are at enmity against God. I think that's an important thing to know. Uh, if I, don't, I believe if you don't admit that you're an enemy of God, you don't know you're an enemy of God. So when you know that naturally you are an enemy of God, it causes you to humble yourself and say, God, I'm not, I'm like a, the old Reese Howell book, which I'm sure you never read. Says, it, Reese Howell said, I'm not willing what I'm willing to be made willing. <laughs> that's what I pray all the time. I pray that all the time. God, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to love that person who badmouthed me and hurt me and gone around and talked smack about me. God, I do not want to love them. I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing, okay? That, there's that scene in Jesus Christ Superstar where uh, King Herod says to Jesus, Get out, King. Get out of my life. That's what we do in, in, in our natural selves. If we, don't have a, if we don't have a conversion experience, if we don't have a moment of transformation, a moment of recognition, we will say, get out of my life. You see, here's the deal. And here, here's what separates, I think, from from those who just want to go from the manger to the cross and nothing in between. It's, I believe that what separates us is the scripture is the constitution bylaws of the kingdom. And the, the scripture itself is the combination bylaws of the king. So if in my defense of my life, or my decisions of my life, or if my opinions that I have... If I'm constantly referring to Scripture, then I'm on the path to being under the liberating authority of the King. But if I'm constantly referring to my emotions, then I'm not on the path to being in relationship to the King. So the King can liberate me and, and make my life what He wants it to be. So finally, we, we, we all know this is true, that we need the ultimate and perfect King. And that's why we keep coming back to repentance. Because we tell him, get out of my life, king. And then we go try things on our own. And we make a mess of it. And everything doesn't work. And then we come back and we say, king, you were right. And because he's not, a, he's not like an earthly king. See, earthly kings have to control us. The earthly kings have to try to... Earthly kings get their power from us. Earthly kings. Think of the superstars that you, you buy their, their, you download their music or whatever, you watch their movies. If you stop watching their movies and you stop downloading their stuff, they're dead. They don't get to be king anymore. They need you to be king. Jesus doesn't need you to be king. He's just king. 
<laughs> so so and, and this is pretty cool because the way this works, the way this works is Jesus, Jesus can tolerate me going and being an idiot. Because an earthly king has to either control me by, by military force and by crushing me physically or by always pleasing me and always saying exactly what I want him to say and doing exactly what I want him to do. And we know either of those are disastrous. Jesus doesn't have to do either. He just sits on the throne as king. And when I'm ready to be his child, he says, I'm so glad to have you back because I love you. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, everything I'm doing is with you in mind. Isn't that cool? Somebody say, praise the Lord. <clears throat> I think I've got a little extra time today, don't I? Because, the, uh, because we got a late start. <laughs> so that's extra time. Okay, now we're going to land the plane here in a minute. We need the ultimate perfect king. Somebody said everybody gets better when a leader gets better. Well, that being true, you should go out and get the best leader possible. And that's why you come to this church, right? <laughs> no, somebody getting good. Nobody got that. <laughs> you thought I was talking about Jesus? <laughs> I do compete for his job a lot. <laughs> we're all better. I said in the beginning of the sermon, we're all better when we're well led. I need Jesus as my savior for my sins are many. I, I, I want to see him in the world to come but I also need him as my ruler, for I want to live justly and compassionately and righteously for you here on earth. So Christ represents a king and a kingdom that came in love and peace. Persuading, not punishing. The Lord didn't threaten Zacchaeus. He didn't transform his life by punishing him. He transformed his life by loving him, by, by sharing hospitality with him. Zacchaeus changed because he was in awe of the king. That's how Christian transformation happens. Because you, you get to be in awe of the king. Some of you, and I say this in love, you haven't crossed that line yet of being in awe of the king. You, you just have seen Jesus as an advisor, a motivator, an inspirational example, and someone who died for your sins, so someday when we have your funeral, we can say, Joe Blow, sign the card, and we baptize him in water so we know he's in heaven. How would you like to have some joy and heavenly, kingly life between heaven and earth? Before we get to heaven... We can not only go to heaven, we can actually enjoy the trip. Amen? See, many, some of you are entirely self-led. You're entirely self-led. You believe in the kingdom of God. You believe in God, rather, I meant to say. You believe in Jesus. You believe in God. You believe in salvation, but you are self-led. And the transformation that we're talking about here, you see, the kingdom of God is not entered by merely believing, it's entering, entered by surrendering. The kingdom of God is not entered by merely believing, it's, it's entered by surrendering. Because you're coming to a king. You're coming to, you're coming to the source of life. You're coming to the all-powerful. The Bible calls Jesus the king of kings. 
and the Lord of Lords. That's what we're talking about today. I know it sounds a little bit like bondage, doesn't it? I'll admit it sounds a little bit bondage. But let's, let me give you this example. Let's say you're living in a cardboard box in December in New England. And I come and find you. And you got in that mess for a series of bad decisions. You got in this mess and you're homeless. And I come and get you. I sent, maybe I send my limo to pick you up. Get the guy in the cardboard box and bring him to my office. And they bring you into my vast office. Because I own a huge company. And I tell you, listen, I'd like to help you out. How would you like to have a job? How would you like to have a house? How would you like to have a life? Well, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you. I, you got to go to the, I, I got this training program you got to go to for the next six months. You got to go to the training program. You got to show up every day. You got to do your homework. And then you got to start showing up at work at 7 o'clock every morning. You get off 4 o'clock every afternoon. And, but within two years, you'll be living in a nice house and driving a nice car having all the food you need to eat, and who knows, someone might even want to marry you. (laughs) Did I bring you into bondage? I told you what you had to do. You had to do half a dozen things I told you to do. Did I bring you into bondage? Did I bring you into, into freedom? I think we were confused about what freedom is. I think we're confused. It's not bondage to be a bond servant of an amazing boss. That's liberty. We are the children of God. We're born into the glorious liberty, the Bible says, of the children of God. Now, um, I have actually invited Tim Keller today to come here to speak to you and conclude my sermon. So he was gracious enough to do that. So I'm going to ask Tim Keller to explain to you much better than I could what it means for Jesus to be the king. C.S. Lewis wrote a little article some years ago called Equality. And he says, I am absolutely in, in favor of democracy. Absolutely, because we're all sinners. He says, because we're all sinners, we need checks and balances. But he says, democracy is medicine, it's not food. It's medicine for what ails us, but it's not food. He says, ultimate reality is not democracy because you were made to be ruled. And if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you will serve somebody. You will, you will bow the knee to somebody. You won't admit that's what you're doing. But I think it's there where Lewis says, human nature will be served. If it doesn't get food, it'll gobble poison. You need a king. You will serve somebody. This is your king. Obey him. That is to say, treat him as a king. Do whatever he says, whether you like it or not. Trust him. Treat him as a king. Accept what he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. Rely on him. Don't say, well, I believe in Jesus, but you really are getting all of your self-worth out of your career. Then your career is king. Make Jesus your king. And expect great things from him. Thou art coming in prayer. In prayer. Expect, treat him like a king in prayer. You know how to do that? John Newton says, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. He's the king.